Ripelist.io. Good afternoon and welcome to the Right Fit Podcast. I'm Daryl Jacobs, your host. I'm executive director of Rising Coaches DEI Alliance. Join me every Friday noon Eastern time with guests who are decision makers in collegiate athletics and professional world of sports. But joining me today is the director of virtual equity and inclusion for the Indianapolis coach, Mr. Brian Richardson Jr. Brian, welcome to the show. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. My pleasure being here. And off air, I was telling you that the Colts happen to be my favorite team. So this is a special interview for me. It goes way back to Baltimore days, probably before you was, was even thought about. I can imagine <laughs> as well. <laughs> but before we get started with the Q&A, um, Brian, tell us a little bit about your journey um, in athletics and now into diversity, equity, inclusion in the National Football League. Yeah. So I think at, at this point, you know, now being uh, over a year in the role, um, I think the best way to sum up this experience has been um, one that is a dream that I've never dreamt before, but something that I've been working for my entire life. Uh, growing up, Saginaw, Michigan, a kid uh, who had aspirations of making it professional, right? Whether that was the NFL or, or to the NBA, I was going to go pro, right? <laughs> um, I had two cousins who were my idols, man, when it came to sports. And uh, my passion really became football. Um, I would see the two of them uh, matriculate to D1, um, go on to then have an opportunity to go to the league. Um, and I just thought that that was the path that I was supposed to go, right? Um, I would then be blessed to have a chance to go on and play college football myself, um, pursue some opportunities. So I went to the senior bowl my senior year, talked with some Canadian League scouts, um, but was also already accepted into graduate school. Ultimately, I ended up choosing the graduate school route, uh, received my master's in kinesiology with an emphasis on sport and exercise behavior and a concentration on sports psychology. Um, and I thought, hey, if I can't play and make it pro, then maybe I can go a different route. So if I couple this graduate degree with my undergraduate degree in sports management and my experience playing ball, then maybe I'll own my own team one day. <laughs> And then I realized, <laughs> Brian, you don't come for money. Right. Um, and at the time, I didn't have money to actually own the McDonald's franchise. So I don't know how I was going to own a team professionally, um, but it meant that I just had to think differently on what opportunities would look like. And I had an amazing coach whose philosophy was, during undergrad, um, while you come here, we'll take care of business on Saturdays. But what you do after Saturdays will be entirely up to you that you'll have a chance to be more than an athlete if you come here. And I never heard, I never had a coach that would actually say that. Well, now I can be that intellectual and that that leader um, off the field, right? So pursuing extracurriculars, be actively involved in my community and be a ball player. I can wear these multiple hats. I can kind of control my own narrative. Well, I would take that ideology along with me in grad school and not allow anyone to put me in any one box. So. When it came to the profession, um, I actually got my start working in higher education as a hall director. So I was living on campus, um, serving as a, a, a coordinator of, of a residence hall, three of them on campus. Um, and in addition to my uh, hall responsibilities, um, the university was really good about uh, not having people be pigeonholed in any one particular profession. So they gave us what was called a collateral which is essentially another full-time job that you don't get paid for, but you get paid in experience. Um, and I, I just think we remember somebody smiling when they said that. It was like, yeah, you'll get no extra pay, but we'll pay you in experience though. And I right. was like, how does this make sense? And, some, and sometimes that's very valuable. 
and it, and it proved and it to was. serve you well. It absolutely did. Um, the path that was chosen for me, um, uh, I'll say it like that and then I'll explain it in a minute, um, was multicultural affairs. That initially I was very hesitant. Um, I didn't want to be seen as the black guy who can only do diversity work. So I struggled with the title of, of actively being involved in diversity work in an official capacity through the title. I was doing the work without the title before, but to now do this, I didn't want to get myself pigeonholed or get that label. But then I had to change how I was thinking, right? So I had to shift my perspective on things. And what I would find is now that I had this title, I'm also in rooms where decisions are being made that are impacting marginalized communities, identities. Um, and now I have a chance to really provoke thought and inspire in those rooms that I can bring to light some of the experiences that were brought to me firsthand. Oh, Mr. Richardson, I don't feel like I belong. I don't feel like I matter. I don't see people who look like me. Um, there aren't many opportunities, whatever the case may be. Now I have a chance to center what this work looks like with the most marginalized group or identity at the center of it. In that role, I'd also learn how to speak truth to power, how to advocate for the most marginalized and disenfranchised, and have these, these powerful conversations where people can see the value in this work um, and understand how it's so interconnected. So doing that would then open the door to create a couple of initiatives that focused on marginalized identities. And I really found that, hey, this is a passion area for me. From there, I transitioned on, um, changed institutions, start working at Indiana University, in the School of Public Health, and that gave me the access to exploring DEI from a public health perspective. So now me and the director, um, who I saw at the time more of as, as, a, as a mentor, uh, who was really intentional in the development of me as a person and a young professional, we traveled the country doing cultural competency trainings for doctors, nurses, healthcare practitioners, and really looking at the inequities within the uh, public health system. From there, would go on and become a director of my own office, um, still at IU, um, but now in the School for Public Policy. So now I'm looking at how do you sustain this work? How do you integrate a lot of these conversations that we're having in the curriculum taught in the classroom? So now I'm working with faculty members to diversify the curriculum. We're building out a structure for how to do this work, how to make it sustainable. 2020 comes around, everything happens in 2020. That's right. Um, and I come aware, or became aware of this position. And I guess the, to sum it up, the best way is there was a skill set that I had that allowed me an opportunity um, to apply for a role that I had been working for my whole life, but something I never dreamt it was even possible. So opportunity to merge two worlds, that kid who wanted to make it to the league and go pro, but then that young professional who found his voice and found his passion for doing this work. Well, you did go pro. You got the best of both worlds. Um, and, and you're in a capacity where, you know, you can affect change that both, you know, we we grew up, you know, similarly where we've been always advocating for DNI, me spending over 20 years as a college basketball coach um, at PWIs and HBCUs, now with rising coaches, executive director of diversity, equity, and inclusion, as well as, you know, USA Weightlifting Board of um, Diversity, Equity, and Inclusion, the commission there, you know, these are things we um, advocate for, particularly with marginalized people, um, as you say, we grew up marginalized. So we, we pretty much know what it is. You talked about owning a team and realized that, you know, you didn't come from wealth, you know, and, and, and be truth be told, a lot of these teams are owned, passed down through generations because of the wealth um, that the owners had, they acquired. 
um, down the road. And that's another topic for another day in terms of how the wealth gap and all that stuff. But you mentioned something very interesting in your segue into professional sports. And one of the things we um, I talk about all the time is is the public health care system. And you talk about the differentiality between that. And you saw that during COVID, um, you know, as well, um, the community that was most effective and the least um, resources there as well. During your process with um, the Indian Lapis coach, talk about the interview process um, for the particular position and, and what did that entail? Yeah. So I think the the entire process taught me something um, that I'll, I'll take with me forever. Um, there was a situation where I had no idea that this job was posted, um, where to go to find it. Um, I like to tell that, you know, my story is an example of being found working, that it I had an amazing colleague at the business school um, who was aware of my story and my background. Um, and one day she came and she says, hey, Brian, you know, one of my students found this job posted, um, but I think it fits your skill set. At the time, I wasn't looking. Um, I was happy where I was. We were building up a brand new office, um, doing some great works, realigning it um, and building it up. And, you know, at the time I told her, I said, hey, you know, I, I appreciate the idea. Um, but I'm teaching courses at the master's level. Now I'm over two different campuses starting um, new initiatives and, and, and right. building a process for how you do this work, writing job descriptions and building out committees like we were doing the work. But at the same time, I, I said, well, well, who's the job with, though? Because I'm curious. <laughs> and um, You say you always wanted to go pro. You, you know, I did. And, and I could have stood in my own way had I not you know, sought out that opportunity. So asking her who 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 the job was with, and she said the call. So I said, "Hey, I got five minutes. I'm gonna put the application in today." <laughs> <laughs> and it was a situation where I applied in July of 2020, and I didn't hear back until October 2020. Right. So in that process, you go through all the imposter syndrome. Oh, well, maybe I wasn't good enough. That's why they took so long. But what I would learn is there are a lot of moving pieces that you have no control of. Mm -hmm. Right. And with the position at this magnitude, there was a lot of people applying for this role, right? So I had to get back to doing what I knew. And that was focusing on our control. I had a job and responsibilities for this university. So now let's build out this strategic plan, how to do this work and make it sustainable. We hosted a conference in the process. October comes, I interviewed for the entire month of October with them. Different interview with a different group every week, right? right. Well, um, I've never been a part of a, with this area. Yeah. Yeah. I had never been a part of a, a month long interview. Uh, right. And it was something that uh, really kept me engaged in the process because how new it was for me and then how genuine the people were. Right. So in the process, I, I was very uh, transparent. Um, while this is a, a great opportunity, um, I have a really good setup where I am. I can't leave a good situation from a I'm not sure situation and I'm only interested in leaving if I feel as if this is right. Right. And I felt that what they were saying versus how they made me feel, uh, it felt right. They were saying all the right things. And now looking back hindsight, they said these things because that's who they were and what they meant. And it stayed consistent along the way. So I'm really thankful for the opportunity of how the process went because I had a chance to really ask those questions of, will we really, are we really going to invest in doing this work even when it's not popular anymore, right? Are we going to do this when uh, it's no longer trending? Are we going to do this when you get the pushback from external partners saying, hey, we, we're tired of y'all talking about diversity. We just want you to shut up and play football now. 
to have that energy be met with, yeah, we're going to do this because this is aligned in alignment with our values. This is in alignment with the family. This is in alignment with who we are and what it means to be a cult. Well, you know, a lot of NFL teams didn't have these positions that you're in now. Correct. It was amazing, as you mentioned, in 2020, through the unfortunate um, killing of George Floyd, it really brought to the forefront um, some disparities, not just in employment, as you mentioned, health care, all across the board um, as well. And, you know, having these courageous conversations it was tough for a lot of people mm -hmm. um, as well. But a lot of the NFL teams have really, really made a concerted effort to bring in DNI people and really address those concerns um, as well. Um, and that's that's admirable um, for the NFL itself. Now, people don't realize the NFL is not really run by the commissioner, you know, it's run by them owners, as a lot of people know now in the news, particularly right. now surfacing to the forefront with Brian Flores filing the lawsuit, you know, the lack of black head coaches. Um, as we sit here today, Lovey Smith, um, the Texans just hired him. So that's two um, now that we'll be coaching in, in the NFL. And um, we'll see what happens from this point on. Um, you know, as well. But, you know, the, the, the DEI space was very foreign to a lot of professional organizations, even though the NFL, Troy Vinson, uh, was at the head of it, really pushing it. But ultimately, those hiring uh, processes comes down to what the owners want. And I just want the listeners to know that a lot of people are doing the work. But yeah. unfortunately, if the owners don't um, open their hearts or change their hearts, you know, you will continue to have what you have. Um, going on as well. But um, I appreciate that you in this position. I'm sure you're going to make some change and recommendations as well um, with that. Um, talk about, and you probably already mentioned it, talk about, you talk about some of the things you learned along the way. Um, let's discuss, you know, the show is right fit. And, you know, this is a little bit different type of show in regards to, you know, the DEI space. You know, we talk about right fit in terms of having certain characteristics, checking the boxes, and all that kind of stuff. You know, being in that DEI space, if you encounter something probably a little bit different when you're dealing with HR. Mm -hmm. um, you talk about writing the job description. You're talking about them having to interview. You're talking about that. Talk about some of that stuff when you're working with HR in terms of building out job description to and be inclusive for all to apply. Yeah. So I'll, I'll, I'll approach that question from two different ways. Um, I think one, it's it's important, you know, we talk about in the DEI space, you know, language is important, language matters. Um, there is a risk that, it, that we run in the creation of the uh, job descriptions where we can either be knowingly or unknowingly excluding a, a group of people or individuals based on how we write a job description, right? I think we need to be very clear on what's the makeup of the industry that we're in, and then how do we find ways to um, uh, do more to increase what representation is lacking in a particular area. So in this male dominated space, how are we making sure that the descriptions that we're writing aren't knowingly or unknowingly excluding those who identify as women to apply for these same jobs, mm -hmm. right? Um, I'll share a quick story. So when I was working back in higher education, um, I was having these same types of conversations about fit, about hiring, about recruitment, setting up pipelines, retention. Um, and I remember being called into a meeting with um, several faculty members that were trying to do more on, on hiring diverse candidates for, um, for faculty roles, as well as creating pipelines for recruitment of students. 
Um, I come into the room and I'm always on the lookout for what's the makeup, what voices and perspectives aren't represented here, and then how can I utilize um, the consciousness or the awareness that I have of the lack of those voices to bring it to others' individuals' uh, awareness so now we can make informed decisions moving forward. And I like to coin that process as um, making the unconscious conscious, right? Pulling that curtain, uh, the curtain back and allowing us to see giving us our power back to make informed right. decisions. So I go in the room and there are um, eight men, um, myself being one of them, um, and I'm the only person of color. Now, the, the, the meeting itself is about fit and recruitment. <laughs> so the first thing I say is, um, will anyone else be joining us? Right. <laughs> um, and they're like, no, this is it. And I said, okay, well, um, are there are there anybody any individuals who may identify as women the, the you know could share a perspective on this story? Right. Are there other people of color or people differently um, that may have a, a a stake in this conversation? And the mood in the room changed. And I love what happened next. The mood didn't change because like oh he's he's gonna talk about this diversity stuff. It changed because. They, they finally realized something that they hadn't had to see before. They paused and realized the makeup of the room, while we don't have these voices and perspectives represented. So then that put us in a position where we could actively seek out those voices and perspective to have a more well-rounded conversation. The other thing that we did in that room was, um, so let's talk about it. Let's talk and review uh, the job descriptions. and what determines whether a person will get the job or not? And the first thing that came out was fit. I said, oh, you fell into the trap. Yes. Well, right so, for it, you're right, right. <laughs> so as we talk about fit, I want us now to go around the room and talk about well, what does fit mean to you? Yeah. Eight people in the room, eight different definitions of fit. Right. I said, so this is where we have to be very conscious of the words that we use and how we're, how we're saying that a person is a right fit or not. What are we really saying? And then if we take it a step further, because we say that we choose based on fit, let's pull this data and look at these departments. So what are we really saying? When we say nothing fit, like that internal assessment. You got them. And again, it made them see some things that they hadn't hadn't had to realize or, or acknowledge before. And then when they did, now I like to be believe that um, people want to do the right thing, right? And it's hard for me to do the right thing or do something different if I'm not faced with what that other thing is or a direction to um, broaden my own thought process on it, right? So now that they see this, they say, well, we got to do something about it. And I love it because that was their idea. We got to do something, Brian. So what, what can we do? So let's brainstorm then. Let's talk about how can we be intentional to change these things. And that created a game plan for uh, diversifying pipelines strategic partnerships with different groups and different entities. And we saw the fruits of our labor based on an awareness and acknowledgement of, and then a commitment to that process. Well, that was something I really wanted the listeners and the viewers to hear, because sometimes they don't understand what goes on in the room. And, and believe it or not, Rising Coaches itself, our membership is predominantly white males. And a lot of things what we try to do is have these conversations. And sometimes, as you mentioned, some of them don't realize, 
you know, that they're making the decision. Like when I joined Rising Coaching, um, there was nobody of color in the senior leadership. And I was like, wait a minute, guys, you can't bring me aboard as executive director of DNI. You don't even have nobody on the senior leadership team of color, um, you know, as well. So that one of the things you got to do, if you're going to talk to talk, you got to look, you got to look the part, you know, as well. So I said, that's the first thing you have to do is diversify your leadership. And they were able to receptive to do that as well. Um, Brian, I'm enjoying this conversation, but I got to pay some bills, buddy. So let's pay some bills. We'd be right back here on the right fit with my guest, Brian Richardson Jr. of the Indianapolis Colts. The Right Fit Podcast is brought to you by Rising Coaches Search and Consulting. Tired of spending what seems like all of your time and budget filling coaching vacancies? Let Rising Coaches Search and Consulting handle your next coaching search. Our process is simple. We identify, vet, and recruit a talented and diverse group of professionals that fits your institution's profile. All for a low price that we guarantee will beat our competitions. Plus, all of your searches will be handled by former coaches, meaning we will get the best possible insight on all of your candidates, and you'll get the perspective that only a former coach could provide. For testimonials, a full client list, or more information, please visit risingcoaches.com. Welcome back to the Right Fit Podcast. I'm with my guest, Brian Richardson, Jr., Director of Diversity, Equity, and Inclusion for the Indianapolis Coats. And we're talking about the right fit from a whole different perspective um, regarding the hiring practices and processes within professional football. Let's talk a little bit about some of the things you are doing with the Coats. I know you hit on a little bit, but let's talk about some of the things you're doing with the Coats um, in, in the DNI space. Yeah. So I love that, you know, me being in this role um, is a direct result of an organization and its leadership hearing and listening to its employees, right? So again, the, the national stage, the global stage, a lot of conversations around DEI. Um, and internally, we wanted to have those same conversations, right? We had an active and outspoken general manager, head coach for our players, but then you also have this group of employees who have feelings and experiences. Um, and it caused us as an organization to take a hard pause, to reflect and to have some of those deep and, and, and heavy hidden conversations, to hear those experiences from the employees. That led to, right, we're gonna do something um, to set us up as an organization to be proactive now moving forward in the space. The creation of a, a scholarship, so now you invest in resources in uh, communities of color to uh, increase the, the access to higher education and education in general. Then there's the recognition of Juneteenth and then the creation of this role. So as I come in, I'm working with a hungry group of individuals who want to see change, who want to see some action, who want to see some some things put in place where we can sustain the energy and the conversations that were happening for me. Um, and I view my role in any organization that I join um, as a cog in the wheel, that I am called to this place um, to uh, enrich the experience and celebrate those that we have here with us now, while also preparing the space for those who are coming after us. So everything that we do is in mind of giving the great experience that we're having, uh, highlighting the things that we're doing well, but then getting back in there tweaking so we can keep this thing going. We're not going to settle for, okay, things are great right now. We got to keep looking down the road. We got to keep being aware of 
the nuances and, and best practices and, and the shifting demographics. Um, so as a result of that, those early conversations um, with the people who were doing the work prior to my, uh, this role being created with an understanding of uh, the, the data that was out there working with HR, um, working with senior leadership, hearing our uh, internal and external stakeholders, um, what I essentially came up with was our four core functional areas for how we will do work in the DEI space. Um, the first box being cultural intelligence training and ongoing education opportunities for our employees. This does multiple things. Um, in this particular area, we're talking about the culture, right? Training up our employees to start that process of learning, unlearning, and then relearning. As society is shifting, the conversations for DEI um, can be taboo for some, and others are longing for these conversations. How do you create a space and bring everybody along together? Well, we're finding ways to engage in the active and passive programming. So providing opportunities to engage with all the different types of learners, those who need to see the hard data and the figures. Okay, I'm gonna give you that. Those that learn by seeing and doing, I'm gonna give you these research articles, these TED Talks, these podcasts to find you where you are and also start to build this tool belt for you. So now you can dive into these conversations, feel a little more educated about them, but then also have a wealth of resources to go back to to continue learning. So we'll engage in the space of uh, working with hiring managers, working with all employees in the organization to do that learning piece. That simply says, as we go out and do all the other things, so as we continue to recruit, as we talk about retention, um, our expectation will not be, we're gonna just go out and just bring a bunch of people in that look different, right? And expect you to come in here and then assimilate to our culture. Right. It's now, we celebrate the experiences and identities that we have here currently, and we're also gonna do the same thing. Externally, when we go out there, bring your best self, bring your full self, and then find how you fit within this 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 puzzle. This right, be the right fit within right. this because you're <laughs> bringing knew, your full I knew self. You would say it eventually. Right? Hey, we go pay the bills. <laughs> <laughs> um, but we focus on that culture, and that happens by that that training process and a commitment to that continued training. Then we go into community engagement, and community relations. So actively working with. Uh, different demographics across the city and across the state who've already been active in this space, right? There are nonprofits, uh, religious leaders, um, community organizations who've tailored their work to fit and work with these specific demographics. So now how can we as an organization come alongside them, utilize our platform and be good stewards and good partners, as opposed to, look at the coach, they got a DEI guy, now he's leading diversity for the whole state. Now, Right. No, we're going to work with those individuals. We're going to work with them. Uh, I jokingly say we're going to work with you when you're the flavor of the month. So when it's your heritage month, and then we're also going to keep the conversations going afterwards too, to show that we're in this together. Um, and then I'll actually be able to utilize that same support and those uh, relationships that's built and find ways to bring them internally so we can build out some more conversations to start that learning process. So I've had a few panel conversations uh, over the past year bringing in local voices and local perspectives, shining light on the work that's done in the city, but then also um, help them understand here's the work that these organizations are doing. Why aren't we partnering with them, right? right. So then the third box is uh, recruitment and retention, having conversations on how do you set up uh, pipelines, partnerships um, with Hispanic serving institutions, tribal colleges, women colleges, predominantly black institutions, HBCUs, because I myself am an outsider who gained access into this highly exclusive space. So now 
how can I create more access opportunities for other students who may not know where these jobs are posted, when to go, uh, or where to go to find them, uh, when they're posted, as well as how do you make yourself stand out in a pool where people only have sports experience, but you may come in with that skill set. So now we take the two-pronged approach. We're going to put these uh, uh, jobs and opportunities in front of that capable audience in those different demographics, but then also do the internal work. Hiring managers, we got to get out of our own way, right? We can't simply limit a pool to only people who have sports experience or only come from those who uh, we feel comfortable about, right? Or they come recommended. I, I knew I knew you'd get to that word, too. right? <laughs> comfortable. So right. by doing that, we are either knowingly or unknowingly excluding a large population of individuals who may have not gained access to these spaces. So how can we eliminate that? And then the last area um, is doing more in the areas of supplier diversity. How do we work with these minority-owned businesses, women-owned businesses now um, to create access points to do work with these companies and corporations? Well, you know, one of the things is, is, is and you hit on some, some great points, talking about excluding someone you know, the transferable skills seems to be a lost art for some reason. Um, I guess I'm kind of old school and I know transferable skills can transfer and someone can be very effective. You see somebody with sports specific or specific characteristics and that's who you want. That's what the um, job description is telling towards. And you and I often mention when I when I um, give counseling or uh, be a consultant with someone on d I say you excluding a whole vast group of people who can probably be a better fit for you because those transferable skills, you're looking for specific things. Now you're excluding. And I, I see, I guess you don't believe in transferable skills. And there was one job search I was a part of and gave recommendations. Hey, won't you open it up to people that have these type of skills? Because, you know, I'm somebody that know about the transferable skill, you know, the skill you have here, somebody that has this kind of skill in this field, can actually do this and they was like oh i didn't think about that so yeah it's the same thing yeah but you don't see it that way you know they they got the same acumen or the same experience or the same knowledge to be able to bring something to the table and actually they end up hiring somebody that wasn't even in the sports field brought yeah. somebody else in from the outside it was like wow we didn't know that we can find somebody with better qualifications that became a right fit for them so um, I'm glad you mentioned that as well, because sometimes that's what happens with Absolutely. job descriptions. Yeah, you really, you really, as you mentioned, unknowingly exclude a lot of people without opening it up. One of the things I like to ask during these um, interviews I'm having is the three do's or don't, whether it's from your experience about interviewing or if you were part of an interviewing process, the three do's and the three don'ts. Mm -hmm. So uh, I like that question so much that I had to write some notes down. I, I, I wanted to make sure I, <laughs> I said what is, I wanted. We got a lot of people listening and watching, and, and particularly um, those coaches of color or administrators of colors, you know, as yeah. well as important. And those college students that we work with um, as well, I want them to be able to, you know, hear the do's and don'ts from a lot of different perspectives as well. Absolutely. Now, I, I preface this by saying these these are mine. Right. So these are going to be different from, from other people. Right. Um, they may not be universal to some. But you're in the um, pros, man. So you got to you. You carry a lot of weight right now. You at, you at the top of the mountain. So you know, I'm sure what you about to what, what you about to say is going to be very useful to them going forward. 
so the first thing that I would say as far as a do um, is be authentic. Um, and this came as feedback through my interview process, right? And here I am, an outsider applying for a job who I never thought that I would land, that I didn't even know existed. But one of the, the, the shining qualities that, that it was uh, told to me during the interview process was that it was my authenticity that, that, that shone through in, that, in, in the process. Uh, my ability to connect, adapt, my energy, my passion for the work that I do, it just felt normal and natural. It didn't feel rehearsed. So bring your full authentic self to work. Um, and I say that because I heard something this this week, um, you know, the whole mindset of fake it till you make it, right? <laughs> I hate that. <laughs> so what happens when you make it and then those that hired you are expecting you to be the way that you faked it? That's tiring. You can't change, right? You can't change, right? And, and it'll feel forced. Um, burnout becomes real. Um and you lose out on the things that actually helped you land the role or that make you you, right? Um, the other thing that I would say um, is do your research and ask questions. Don't be afraid to ask questions. Um, if you don't know um, the history of an organization, its previous commitments in the space, um, look that stuff up and then ask about inconsistencies or the things that you feel as if are red flags. Just as much as these companies and corporations are interviewing you, you yourself are also interviewing them. That because it's a good opportunity doesn't mean it's the right opportunity for you. You may not, they might not be the right fit for you. Right? Well, you know what? You're the first guest I've had say that. And I often tell people that. I said, make sure you research them because even though it may be a professional organization, you get enamored with that. Mm -hmm. But I say it may not be a good fit for you because if you get in there, you're going to realize that maybe I shouldn't have taken this job. I like the, the glitz and glamours of being with the Colts or the Patriots, but man, I'm not enjoying it. This culture is not a right fit for me. But you mentioned something that was very important. I often say you're interviewing them as well. Absolutely. And I think that, that having that understanding, um, it helps you or prepares you for when the honeymoon stage is over, right? When the glitz and glamour and it gets the, 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 the hard, the gritty, the stuff that people don't see, right? When you got to get down and deep and things are They're happening. They're not going to tell you everything. They're going to tell you that, right? Like, They're you got to figure that stuff out. You're going you to bump your head. You're going to make some mistakes along the way. Um, I heard one person compare it to um, you learn how the sausages are made. <laughs> like what That's a term. That's different. So uh, the last uh, do that I would say, and it goes with that that, that second one, of, of doing your research and asking the question is knowing your why. What's your purpose for pursuing these opportunities? Right. For me, I did this because it felt right. I felt that I now had a chance to to merge those two worlds and those passions. Um, and I embraced this, 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 uh, the field of DEI, um, where before I tried to run away from it. I didn't want to place, be faced with the label, but then I also saw, okay, this is something that um, I'm good at, um, that I believe in the work that I'm doing. Um, and to join an organization that's invested in this, I have to see those same things. I have to know that they're doing it for the right reason. Um, I have to know that they're invested to get down and dirty when need be, but they're gonna commit to that process um, because it's this journey, right? We always hear that in the DEI space, it's a journey. You know, it's not a sprint. It's going to take some long steps, long strides, 
uh, to get there well, where well, we're you, there. You sound like a coach that ain't been winning. That's how coaches try to box. Oh, I, I feel like that was a, a, a shot at our off-air conversation when my collegiate experience as a ball player didn't go very well. Okay, I was taught by a coach who didn't win a lot, but he taught us more. <laughs> Um, so know your why though, right? Because that's going to be the thing that pushes you um, when things get tough, when you feel uh, empty and, and burnout is something that's real and you're, uh, you're physically, mentally, emotionally drained, you spent your questioning, you know, did I make the right decision? When you remind yourself of that why, that's going to get you through those moments. Um, now the don'ts. Um, don't assume that people read your resume. <laughs> And people always assume that for some reason. (laughs) So be prepared to talk about who you are, your qualifications, and what you bring to the room um, and to the table and to a team. So don't assume that anyone has read any resumes or cover letters. Be willing to articulate your skill set once you have access in that room, right? Um, The second thing is don't be afraid to walk away. If things aren't aligning, it can be the great opportunity as far as the brand and, and, and the allure to what the work is, but if it doesn't connect with who you are morally, spiritually, or emotionally as a person and your values, don't be afraid to walk away from that opportunity. Um, and then lastly, um, which I'm not doing too well of right now, don't be too brief and don't be too long-winded in that process. <laughs> well, this is an interview, Brian. You, there's no time frame here. Here's the, here's the great thing about the show. It goes on until we finish. There we go. I like that. <laughs> so that's my so, that's my three do's and my three don'ts. Well, you know what? The thing that really stood out to me is the why. And and I'm I'm a I'm a preface that I'm a because that's usually the softball question, the first question you get asked in an interview. And I've been part of interview processes where people didn't do too well with that. You know, why are you interested in this job? Why are you interested in this company? Why are you interested in any other? You know, and you mentioned, I tell people a lot of times you miss it because, you know, it has to fit in line with your core values, whatever they are, mm-hmm. whether it's, you know, family, community. If, if the job encompass all what you believe in and there's a culture that you want to go to, you talk about that. You know, you preface your values into your why and why you want to be there. That's just a very simple fit if you do that as well. But that's what really stood out. And that's what a lot of people miss the interview and don't understand because the first thing they ask why they'd be like oh my god i didn't think about that no yeah, you're thinking about it could be that trap thing. question even yeah it's, yeah it's, it's, yeah, it's a soft it's the softball question but it's a question that can eliminate you the first five minutes of the interview if Absolutely. you do not do well um with that question as well so well, brian thank you so much for taking the time I, I i enjoy speaking with you i'm sure i'm gonna get you on again we're gonna talk more in depth about the dni space and the hiring practices um, within the NFL and across the board. Um, and it's a lot of things that you're doing um, as well. Your career path has been an interesting one, but also it gives the listeners and viewers insight that say you don't have to start in sports there you go. to get into sports. It's the skills that you have that were transferable. And the Indianapolis coach couldn't have made a better choice in bringing you on board to fulfill this space. Once again, thank you for taking the time this afternoon. I want to thank the viewers for taking the time as well. Join me next Friday for more guests who are decision makers, both in the collegiate world of athletics and professional sports. Until next week, please be safe, stay clean, and have a great weekend.